0: If you have a Bible, take it and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, third book in the New Testament. We're continuing through our series in in the book of Luke, and we've been seeing some of Jesus' miracles and some of the way that he is teaching, and we come to a very familiar story today today. Uh, one that you, if you grew up in church, and even if you haven't been in church very long, you probably know this story. I asked Elaine, I told Elaine what we were talking about this morning, and she knew right away the story. If you grew up in Sunday school, you saw the flannel graph of this one, um, and enjoyed this story. So, I, I pray that God would give us fresh eyes to see it, though, and to learn from it. will be in, in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Have you ever said these words to someone? Maybe you haven't, but, Something like this, who do you think you are? Or, or maybe you've said it behind someone's back to someone else. You said, who does she think she is? Or who does he think he is? Or, or maybe here's an even tougher one, something like, who died and made you king? <laughs> it, it's, those are phrases that, that communicate that, that someone's acting like they have more authority more power than they really do they're a little bit too big for their riches, if you know what I mean that's a another phrase that that they're 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 overstepping their bounds. who do they think they are they're not all that they seem to be pretending to be in some ways that's the question that comes up here about Jesus. The question is who does he think he is? some people in the crowd as he teaches and as he says some things and does some things say. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? He's speaking with authority on something. Does he think that he has that kind of authority? Specifically, what Jesus says he has authority to do is to forgive sins. If people say, does he have the authority to do that? Does Jesus have the authority to forgive sins? If I had to give you one main point from this, we're going to learn a lot from this passage, I think, in different ways. But I think the main thing that Luke is communicating to us is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. That's good news for us. And we're going to see how it was good news for this man who came. I don't know if that strikes you as good news. Maybe you think, sins, me? I don't necessarily have any sins that need forgiven. I hope that you'll see that you do. And if you have been forgiven of your sins, I pray that we'll see with new eyes what Jesus has done for us. Let's read this passage together. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Again, very familiar words. It says, On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. What a great story. And now I know why we teach it in Sunday School all the time. It's a great story. Let me just point out a few things. Um. The first thing that we notice in this as we think about this theme that Jesus has the authority to forgive is the people in the crowd. That's the first thing we see is the people in the crowd. It says on one of those days, so just someday, he was teaching, and it says Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. This is the first time that we that we see these folks. What's been going on, we've watched in these early days as, as people just start coming, they start flocking to Jesus, We've seen the crowds get bigger and bigger. The more Jesus said, the more he did, the more people came to see and to hear all that he was saying and doing. And it would seem that word began to trickle out, and it began to go up the religious, the ladder of religious society, such that religious leaders from all over came to hear about him. They had maybe ignored him for some time, thinking he was some radical out in the middle of nowhere. But but things started happening. Maybe this healing of the leper was sort of the last straw. Hey, we got to figure out what's going on with this guy, and it says that they came from all over. They came from, it says here, from every village in Galilee, and from Judea, and they even came from that great center of the Jewish faith. They came from Jerusalem. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they they come to hear this Galilean carpenter with their own ears, to see his deeds with their own eyes. They want to know who is this guy, what is he saying, and what is he doing. We need to understand who he is. This is the first time that we've met these groups, isn't it? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, they play a prominent role in the Gospels. And here in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, that's the first place that we find them. They were the elite religious leaders of the day. They weren't priests, but they were kind of their own group set apart to keep the law, and they kept the law rigorously. In fact, they wanted to keep the law so much so that they, they made laws on top of the laws to make sure that they didn't break the law. Uh, they wanted to make sure that they kept God's rules to a T, and so they added these laws to it. And they, it, it seems they came out, they, they, they guarded the Jewish faith, and so they were coming out to see, what's this guy teaching? Is he messing up what we believe? Is he causing issues within our faith for some it may have been simple curiosity, but I think for most they came to see what he was saying, to see if he was teaching something that was false. They were maybe looking to see if he had if he would pronounce something that was that was sin or that was blasphemy. They wanted to catch him. For some that maybe is your attitude towards religion. Maybe maybe even it's your attitude towards church. You come and you say, I wonder if I can find something that the pastor says wrong today. That's a rough attitude. I think others just look at religion, and, and that's that's their attitude towards any kind of religion. They say, this is all craziness, and I'm just going to try to find the things that, that I don't agree with. But to be careful of that attitude, an attitude that's always looking for someone to say something wrong. And I think that's the attitude of the Pharisees here. Well, these men, they they gathered and all the people in this, this crowd we 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 see they're they're gonna see something amazing. And Luke kind of foreshadows this with the phrase that says and the power of the Lord was with him to heal at the end of, of verse 17. So we see the people in the crowd, but next we see the power upon Jesus. The power upon Jesus. It's it's something that Luke continues to bring out, isn't it? I mean since the baptism where the Spirit comes down onto Jesus Up to this point, we just continue to see the power of Jesus. He has power. He has authority. Luke continues to bring this out. Jesus is filled with, he is anointed with power from on high. He's not like every other man. He's not just some teacher. And here in this town, he's going to do something amazing. It's unlike Nazareth. Remember in Nazareth, Mark tells us that that Jesus didn't do many miracles in Nazareth. Why? Because of their lack of faith they didn't believe but here something amazing is going to happen the power of god is going to come the power of the lord is with jesus to heal you know there are times i think when the the power of god is is upon us in some sort of specific way a time when we when we speak or we pray with with unique authority a time when there is some sort of Supernatural courage or or joy that that God gives us. Have you experienced that? Something it's it's different than normal. I, I believe that there are times when we gather that God is God is with us in a unique way, in a more powerful way. God is always with us, right? We believe that fully. God is always with us, and we are indwelt by His Spirit. And His Word never returns void; it always goes forth with power. And yet, there are times. When it would seem that his power, his spirit are with us in a in a unique way, whether individually or, or, or corporately. I think there's a sense in which that's sort of unpredictable, isn't it? We don't know when that might be. It reminds me of the words that Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, The wind or the spirit blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That, that part of what that communicates is that God chooses often beyond our own comprehension when and how he is going to manifest his power in a unique way that's that's his prerogative to do with as as he wants and it's not something that that we can control that that we can that we can bottle that we can say if we do this 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 and this then the spirit of god will come it doesn't always work that way he does whatever he pleases but but i think that there is something here that that brings this power of god what was the issue in nazareth They didn't have any faith. What's going to happen here? As we follow this, we're going to see that something amazing happens, yes, because of God's sovereign power and choice, but also because of the faith of those that were there, that the power of the Lord was present. Why? Because people believed in what he was doing. I think part of that faith is, is expectation. The people gathered and they they expected something amazing to happen, something great to happen. They expected Jesus to do something. Do we walk through life with that expectation? Do we believe that God can do amazing things? Do we expect? Do we, do we pray that He will? Do we walk into work with a heart full of expectation for God to do something amazing and powerful? Do we look for God to do amazing things? Do we Do we come to church and do we say, We expect God's power and His presence to be here in a unique way as God's people are gathered together. We talked about this in Sunday School this morning. Just interesting to think that there is something unique about God's people gathered together, that His Spirit is there. He's always with us, and yet in a unique way, He is with us when we are gathered as His people. Do we come with a heart that's expected? Do we pray in a way that says, God, we expect you to come and to teach us to do something today? Part of that faith is, is expectation. And in many ways, I think we see two different ways of coming to Jesus. You see the Pharisees that were skeptical, and you see the rest in the crowd that, that were expectant. Uh, we we find some who are always looking for for something to disagree with, and then others who are looking to see God do something amazing. Who are you? So having introduced the, the people in the crowd, and then he foreshadows the events by talking about the power that's upon Jesus. Jesus now, Luke now turns to the paralytic and his friends. The paralytic and his friends. That's that's who we meet in verse 18. It says, and behold. This is that same word, if you remember from last week with the leper. Behold, it's it's kind of this, what do you know? Look, of all things, here comes a man who's paralyzed. So, behold, some men were bringing a man on a bed, who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in, and lay him before Jesus. Can you see these guys? Just kind of picture them in your mind's eye. I don't, you know, we don't really know how many were there. Maybe it was four, sort of one on every corner of the bed, and they were carrying this guy who's who's laying down. He can't move at all. He's paralyzed. That we don't know if he's fully paralyzed, arms and legs, but at least his legs are. He's unable to walk. And so they're carrying him. Maybe one on each corner. Maybe it's just two friends. You got a guy at the head and a guy at the foot. Maybe it's ten friends, <laughs> and they're all gathering around him. And they're excited. There's a there's a spring in the step as they all walk. All of them walking, of course, except for the man who's on the bed because he's paralyzed because he he cannot walk. Again, isn't this a picture like the leper of of just inability? I mean, this man is is. This man is helpless and hopeless in this situation. He can't do anything. Even if he wanted to go see Jesus, he couldn't get up and go to see Jesus by himself. He's helpless. He's hopeless. And we don't even know how long he's he's been this way, but he probably has no thoughts of ever walking again. There was There was no therapy. There was nothing that he could do. There was no medicine he could take. There was no doctor who could heal him. He probably has no hope. And we don't really know whose idea it was. You know, maybe it was this guy, he'd heard about Jesus, and so he kind of called his friends and said, hey, will you guys take me to Jesus? Or maybe it was the friends. You know, maybe his friends had, had been out. They'd heard Jesus' words, they'd kind of seen some of the things that, that Jesus had done, and, and as their faith increased, they sort of looked around at each other and they said, hey, we gotta bring our friend to see him. They they all thought together of their paralyzed friend, this man who had no hope, and they said, we need to bring him to Jesus. I imagine them kind of bursting through the door saying, hey, we're taking you to go see Jesus, and he is going to heal you. He's going to make you walk again. I imagine this man sort of saying, well, I I mean, I guess, I'm not really sure, And, and yet his faith is bolstered by their faith, and as soon as he agrees, they just pick him up. By the bed and they rush out the door. They say, we know where he's at. Here we go. And they they run out the door and they they arrive at the house where Jesus is. And, and right when they get there, they meet this obstacle. And they've got this big group of guys and they've got a bed and the door is is jammed. There's no way in. And it doesn't even stop them for a second. I mean, they say, all right, let's hoist him up on the roof. And they just lift him up and climb the ladder. It would have been a, a flat top roof probably. And they, they get up there and they start pulling tiles off. And the people that are down in, you know, you imagine the dust is maybe falling on their heads in, in in small quantities, and then all of a sudden, big clumps are falling, and 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 there's just this major disturbance going on, and and a hole opens up in the roof. I mean, just imagine it happened right here—that a hole opens up in our roof, and maybe someone's head sticks down through, and you know, the light's shining in, and he looks in and finds out where Jesus is, and then the hole gets gets bigger, and now it's not just a head but a bed. Comes down through the ceiling. I mean, this is what happens here. Isn't this a great picture? This this bed comes down in, and 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 it, it pops through this hole in the roof and down, down, down. It, it lands and it lands right in front of Jesus. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you what. If I'd been in that room and I see this bed coming down through the ceiling, you, I, I think my honest reaction would be. Come on, guys, we got a line here, you know? I was here at sunrise waiting to see Jesus, and, and you guys, what a way to cut, you know? You pop through the roof. But I think that would be my attitude, to be totally honest. But that's not Jesus, is it? Jesus, in his kindness, he sees this, and what does he see? He doesn't see a, a rude action. What he see? He sees faith. It, notice what the text says here. It says, They had no way to bring him in. They let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Verse 20. And when he saw their faith, their faith. It's not just the man's faith. Whose faith is it? It's it's the faith of the whole group, of of the friends and of the men. He sees their faith. Because what is all this effort? All this effort to bring the friend into and and to the persistence to get him to Jesus. What is this? These are evidences of faith. The faith of the paralytic who believes he can be healed and the faith of his friends who say Jesus can heal you. Faith, as James says, is, is evidenced by works. Faith without works is dead. We think about Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. How do we know Abraham was a man of faith? Because when God said, take everything that you own and leave the country that you know and go to a place that you don't know, what did Abraham do? He did it. He obeyed. His faith was, was shown to be true because he did something about it. And these men, they they do something about it. They th- This persistence is evidence that they... Believe it's their their faith. And Jesus sees this not as an imposition, but as a beautiful picture of faith. They believe. They believe that I can heal this man. I, I think this is an interesting concept. There, there's, a, there's a corporate nature to faith. There's, there's a faith of, of a group. We think of faith as as something that's just individual. And I'm not saying that you need the faith of others to save you. Nor can the faith of others save you. The only way that we come to Christ is by faith in in Him personally. And yet there is there's something about this corporate faith that when someone's faith is, is lacking that they can be carried along, as it were, by the faith of another. There are times, I think, where we if I could say it this way, where we need to believe God for someone else. That that they are in such a place that they don't know what to do, and that their faith is so weak that what they need is they need a group of friends, like this guy's friends, who will come around and say, we believe. We know that you're struggling with believing right now, but we want to believe for you. And what does that do? I think if they gathered around this guy and he didn't believe, but he had... Ten friends who said, But we believe. What what happens? Suddenly so he says, Well, I think I believe too. His faith is strengthened by the by the faith of others. The the faith of others slowly builds up another person's faith. There's there's a corporate nature to what why do we gather together? Part of this is to say, We all believe. You know, you go through your weekend, maybe you just feel all alone. I'm the only person that believes this stuff. And you walk in here and you don't even Feel like singing, or you just are wondering, is this even real? <clears throat> and then and then you hear others singing and you hear the, the word of God proclaimed, and people come alongside you and they, they pray with you and you say, No, it is. I, I really do believe this. The faith of others strengthens our, our own faith. You know, I, I don't know, maybe you are in a place where you're you're just heartbroken. You're so heartbroken that you can't even pray or you're just so discouraged that you don't know what you believe anymore. I would encourage you you need you need the faith of others to to carry you along to help you to to bring you to a place of where they say we believe even if you can't believe right now. We want to believe for you until you can believe. A corporate nature of faith I think is a powerful thing. I've had experiences where I've said that to people. I think that's a phrase you know you can't believe right now but I want to believe for you i want to believe that god can do this for you you know as we think about these wonderful friends of this man this paralytic uh, i think it's appropriate to ask when was the last time that you brought someone to jesus isn't that what these men do they just bring their friend to jesus we believe friend That Jesus can heal you. That Jesus can change your life. That Jesus can help you out of your helpless and hopeless situation. And we bring them to Jesus. Because there are people all around us who are helpless and hopeless. They are lost in sin. They are under God's wrath. Do we Are we willing to say, we will bring you to Jesus? Whatever the obstacle. And even if you don't believe right at the beginning, we're going to bring you. And whatever comes into our path, we're going to find a way to get you to Jesus. We are going to be persistent that when someone is lost in sin and despair we say you know can i show you who jesus is when was the last time you did that so here's this man we're thinking about again the paralytic and his friends and here is this man in front of jesus and it says there verse 20 when he saw their faith that jesus looks at the paralyzed man and he says rise and walk Is that what he says? That's not what he says. He's going to say it, but not yet. So let's think first about about the pronouncement of forgiveness, because that's what shows up first, the pronouncement of forgiveness. Verse 20, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, is that why he was there? Is that why his friends brought him? I don't think so and i don't think i think that that everyone there said wait a minute that guy can't walk and that's why he's here jesus what's on everyone's mind is that this guy cannot walk and jesus can make him walk but jesus looks at this paralyzed man and he says man your sins are forgiven you because jesus looks at this guy and he doesn't simply see a man who is unable to walk what does he see he sees a man who is unable to stand before God because of his sin. You know, people come to Jesus, I think, for a variety of reasons. Maybe people come to church or they open their Bible or they fall on their knees. Come to Jesus in different ways for different reasons. Maybe they come because they want Jesus to fix their marriage. They want Jesus to help them win the lottery. I wonder how many prayers like that have gone up. They want Jesus to heal their child. They get into a difficult situation. Or they want Jesus to spare their own life. People come to Jesus for a variety of reasons because they think they have a different variety of needs. But what's the greatest need that everyone has? Forgiveness of sins. It doesn't matter what situation we're in. We all need the forgiveness of sins. This is the greatest need that we have. And Jesus pinpoints the greatest need of this man. And if Jesus had said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And that was it. And that's, that's the end of the story. And his friends come down off the roof and work their way through the crowd, pick him up on his bed, and carry him back out still paralyzed. That would be the greatest gift that Jesus could ever have given him. If he never healed him, if he never made him walk again, but just simply said, your sins are forgiven, that is the greatest thing that he could ever receive. And if we have been cleansed, if we have received forgiveness of sins and Jesus never does anything else for us, we've received the greatest gift that we could ever receive. We have received what we really, truly need. Maybe we come, we, maybe this is your testimony. Maybe you came to church or you came to Christ for some other reason. You said, I want Jesus to fix my life and that's why I'm going to go to him. Maybe you had some friends that said, you need to come understand who Jesus is and you came with them because you thought, well maybe I can add Jesus to my life and he'll make things easier. Maybe he'll bring me some some healing or he'll give me a, a moral compass or give me a reason to, to do good. And when your friends brought you to Jesus, suddenly you said, wait a minute, I thought I needed all of these things. But what I really need is to be forgiven of my sins. He said, this is what I need more than anything else. Maybe you are here today and you think about coming to Jesus and you think that he's just kind of this Someone who can fix life situations. I talked to a guy this week and he said, you know what God really needs? He just wants our three minutes a day. He just wants us to acknowledge that He's there and then and He's going to bless us. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants to change your life. and The way He does it is by forgiving you of your sins because we've all sinned against God. None of us can stand before Him. We've all sinned and, and because of that sin, God's wrath is upon us. And we can't stand in His presence, but Jesus has come to bring forgiveness of sins and if that's all he ever gives us then he has given us more than we ever could imagine but Jesus doesn't stop there does he before we get there though look at the protest of the Pharisees the protest of the Pharisees verse 20 and when he saw their faith he said man your sins are forgiven you remember these guys in the crowd and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying who is this who speaks blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Almost as as, as fast as the words left Jesus' lips, this murmur goes out throughout the crowd. They were expecting him to heal this guy, and instead he says, your sins are forgiven. And suddenly, the Pharisees, they look at the teachers of the law, and they all are just kind of murmuring to each other. They don't say anything out loud, because they all know exactly what they are all thinking. They're thinking, this is... Blasphemy. Who does this man think he is pronouncing forgiveness of sins for people? Only God can forgive sins. Are they right? They're right on that second part. Only God can forgive sins. And if Jesus is not God, then his words are blasphemy to say that he could forgive sins. That's like me standing up here and saying, I forgive your sins. Why, why can God alone forgive sins? Because all sin is against God. All sin is ultimately against God. Others might be wronged or hurt by your sin, but you break God's law when you sin. To to sin is to rebel against God, is to reject His rule. He has created us, He has said this is how you are to live, and if we reject His righteous rule, then we sin against Him. And since sin is ultimately against God, only God can forgive. Let's imagine for a moment that you stand up. You don't like what I'm saying right now. And you come here and you punch me in the face. And then you walk over to Mark. And you say, Mark, will you forgive me for punching Andy in the face? (laughs) Can Mark forgive you? No, because you didn't punch him in the face. You punched me in the face. So who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Me, because you sinned against me. I'm the only one that can give you forgiveness. And if you sinned against God, who's the only person who can give you forgiveness? It's God. The question for us then is this. Can Jesus forgive sin? Does Jesus have the authority to forgive sin? And that's the last part of this narrative. It's the proof of Jesus' authority. The proof of Jesus' authority. Scribes and the Pharisees ask their questions. Verse 22 when Jesus perceived their thoughts, we see that Jesus knows all things. He is omniscient. Isn't that amazing? He perceives their thoughts. So he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? So this is something that's going on in their hearts, and Jesus knows it. Why do you question in your hearts? Why don't you believe me? Which is easier to say? So he asked them a question. Jesus often comes at questions, with questions. Now, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? Okay, think about that question. What's easier? Should we take a vote? Who says it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Who says it's easier to say, rise and walk? Okay, who didn't vote? All right, that's okay. I think both, to a certain extent. So you could have voted on either one and been right? I think the main thing that he's getting at here, though, is Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk. He says to this man, your sins are forgiven you. Is there any evidence that shows up in that moment that says, yes, Jesus forgave this man's sin? Could we do some sort of a spiritual CAT scan and say, look, there's no sin spots left on this guy? No, there's no proof. But if he says, rise and walk, and the man can't get up, then we know Nothing happens. So it's easier in a sense to say your sins are forgiven because there's no proof necessary. He doesn't have to prove it in any way. But in another sense, the forgiveness of sins. I mean that's the hardest thing in the world. Only God can do that. So which is easier, he says, say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? And then before he does it, before he heals the man, he tells them why he's going to do it. Verse 24. But that, so that, the reason I'm doing this is that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, I have pronounced forgiveness on this man, and now I'm going to prove to you that it's real, that I have the authority to do it, and the way I'm going to do it is now I'm going to tell him to rise and walk. And when he does you will know that I have authority to forgive his sins as well. The purpose of the healing was not the healing. The purpose of the healing was to show that he could forgive sins. This is why I think we need to be very wary. We need to be very careful of those who talk about healing and miracles and signs as an end in and of themselves. What is the purpose always of signs and wonders in Jesus' ministry? It's to point to the greater reality. Why is he going to heal this man? So that people will believe he can forgive sins. And when we take these signs and wonders and we put them on a pedestal and we say, this is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. He's come to to fulfill all your needs. When we do that, we take away from the greatest miracle that he can do. It's to forgive sins. If If he heals this man... If he says, rise and walk, but he never says your sins are forgiven, what is that for this guy? I think he would say, I would rather have not walked for the rest of my days and been forgiven of my sins than to be able to walk and still trapped in my unforgiveness. Be careful. These things are meant to go together. The sign of the healing is meant to say, I can forgive sins. That's the purpose. I believe that Jesus can heal. I believe that Jesus can do signs and wonders. And I believe that when he does it, the purpose is to say then, now believe the gospel. Believe what Jesus can do. If he has power to do that, then he has power to forgive you of your sins because that's what really matters. So Jesus turns to this man. What's he say? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. Now this is the moment of truth, isn't it? What's going to happen? He's made some bold claims. If this man doesn't stand up, I mean everyone walks out the door and says he's he's a joke, he isn't able to do anything. Verse 25 the answer comes quickly and immediately. Immediately. When Jesus heals he heals fully and immediately. The man rose up before them. He's not hobbling around, is he? He stands up and he's got enough strength not only to stand, but to pick up his bed that he had been lying on, that it took people to carry him on, and to walk home. He is healed completely. And then they glorify God. And when that happens, it's not just proof that Jesus can heal a body, is it? What is it proof of? That he can forgive sins. That Jesus has authority to forgive our sins, not only can he can he heal a body, but he can cleanse a soul. Think about this. What did the Pharisees say? Who can forgive sins? God alone. And Jesus says, if I tell this man, rise and walk, and he does, then I have authority to forgive sins. And if God alone can forgive sins, then what does that say about Jesus? He is God. He is God. We often go to the texts that are so clear where Jesus says, I am God. This is a proof of Jesus' deity that he is God in the flesh. He says, they say, only God can forgive sins. And he says, I forgive your sins. And I'll prove that I can do it by telling this man to rise and walk. And by telling him to rise and walk, I say, I can forgive sins. And therefore, I am God. Wow. He's not just a miracle worker. He's just not a great teacher. He's not a kind man. He is God in the flesh. And he has come to bring forgiveness of sins. So the response of the crowd is correct, isn't it? They went home. The man goes home glorifying God. And verse 26, amazement seized. It grabbed the hold of them all and they glorified God. And they were filled with all saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. I mean, they saw amazing things. They saw a man raised from the dead. But do you know what else they saw? They saw a man in front of their very eyes forgiven of his sins. Made right before God. Able to stand in God's presence. It's an amazing thing. I I think there's so many good applications to think about. The one that that we have to say is, have, have you come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you recognized that you have offended him? That all of your sin, while it may hurt other people, it is ultimately and primarily against God. And because he is the creator, he has the right to do whatever he wants. And because of your sin, you are under God's judgment. But the beautiful truth is that Jesus has come. He's come in kindness. He's come in forgiveness. He's come as God himself. And he has come to take all of your sin upon himself. Because he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And so he comes and he says, I will take all your sin. I will become sin for you. And the penalty for sin is death. And so I will die for you. And when he is on the cross, he dies for your sin and for my sin. He takes the penalty on himself. And then he gives us righteousness so that we can stand before him. And he does it by faith. How was this man saved? By anything that he did? He couldn't do anything. He couldn't even walk to Jesus. He had to be carried to Jesus. But Jesus saw his faith and said, You believe? You are forgiven. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who has the authority to forgive our sins. And so, if you have done that, I say rejoice at what Christ has done, that Jesus has come to fulfill the whole law, that he never sinned so that he could die in your place, that he could have the authority to forgive you of your sins. And then... What a lesson to learn from these friends. Let us bring people to Jesus. Let us drag them on their beds if we have to. And send them through the roof if that's what it takes. Ignore any obstacle that might come into our way as long as we can bring people to say, Jesus has the authority to forgive you of your sins. And let them come for whatever reason they want. Let them come thinking of what they really need from Jesus is to be healed. What they really need from Jesus is for him to make their life better. What they really need is is whatever they might think. And when they come and they get before Jesus, he's going to say, you know what you really need? All this other stuff doesn't matter. What you really need is to be forgiven of your sins. And then we pray that God would do that work, that miracle, give faith that they would believe. Does Jesus have the authority to forgive sins? Yes. And if we come to him in faith, he will forgive us of all our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah.